Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to the March 2014 CTSS quiz. We have 10 absolutely terrific cases to show you, each of them equally interesting. So let's get started. This is an interesting case. What are you seeing on the images? You're seeing a large mass in the left lobe of the liver, and if you look very hard, there's an area of active bleed in the middle of the mass. The patient also has fluid representing blood in the abdomen. So if you ask the question, what does spontaneously bleed? I always like to think about hepatic adenomas first. Then we think about hepatomas. You also can think about trauma patients. This patient had no history of trauma, I can tell you that. Hemangiomas in theory can bleed, though I have to admit, short of a biopsy, I've never seen a hemangioma bleed, particularly with this type of appearance. In fact, this case was metastatic melanoma. Metastasis can occasionally cause bleeds. Melanoma is a classic example. But when you think about it, giant hemangioma would be the best answer because it is the least likely lesion, lesion to bleed. Now, again, if I had to pick a choice without looking at images, you tell me a patient has spontaneous hepatic bleed, particularly a female, I'm thinking hepatic adenoma. This is a great case, and this makes the point we often say that sometimes when you have a very obvious mass, this is 20 centimeters, the problem is not finding the mass, it's figuring out where it came from. Things that are very large can be difficult. When you look really carefully at this case, you recognize the interaction and interrelationship to the stomach, particularly in the coronal view, there's an ulceration present. And there's a classic gastric gist tumor, gastrointestinal stromal tumor, it is the most common site for just tumors. Almost 70% occur in the stomach. In terms of looking at the images, you could have thought about a large adrenal carcinoma or a pancreatic cyst adenocarcinoma. I've seen some of them be really large, but when you look particularly at the coronal view, just is going to be the best and only answer. This patient had left hip pain, and we all know there are a number of reasons for hip pain, including hip fractures, avascular necrosis, but also there is referred pain. In this case, what you notice is that the L5-S1 level, there's destruction of the uh, disc space, there's associated soft tissue mass, and there's bony changes in both the L5 and S1 level. You can see that very nicely. It's asymmetric on the left side. You can see it particularly well in the axial images. And this is classic for osteomyelitis at L5-S1. This was an IV drug abuser. Patients who are immunosuppressed, patients with IV drug abuse, are the most common patients we do see osteomyelitis. In the old days, it used to be TB. Now, staph or MRSA are the common possibilities. In this case, I ask you, what's the best diagnosis in this patient we're evaluating for aortic dissection? You can see the patient has aortic valve replacement, there's atherosclerotic disease, there's coronary artery disease, but what you see is the mass in the posterior aspect of the patient's left atrium. What we're looking here is not at a dissection and we're not seeing a PE, and the most common atrial mass is going to be a myxoma, not a sarcoma, and this was a left atrial myxoma. A high percent of myxomas are detected incidentally, and the left atrium is the most common site. This was a patient who was evaluated for aortic valve replacement percutaneous type procedure, the so-called TAVR. Now, we do CTs for two reasons at TAVR. One is to look at the vascular map to see if the patient's eligible, what sites you would need to put the catheter through, and as such. We also look at these cases to make sure the patient, who are typically over 80 years of age or in that vicinity, don't have occult malignancies or other problems they may uh, not allow us to do the procedure. 
In this case, we see aortic valve calcifications. That's the reason we're doing the TAVR. The patient has aortic stenosis, and there is left atrial enlargement. That's true, no surprise. And there is no dissection present. But look at the course of the patient's right coronary artery. On the image on your right, you see the left main coronary, the LAD and circumflex, with calcified plaque in the LAD and left main coronary artery. You also see the right coronary coming off the left cusp, going between the ascending aorta and pulmonary outflow tract, the so-called malignant configuration. Very nice example. This patient was in their 80s and shows not everybody with a malignant configuration is going to have problems. This is a great case, and I think it's a challenging case. I'm asking you what the least likely diagnosis is, but let's think about the lesion, what's the most likely diagnosis. We see a calcified lesion in the spleen, but it's not totally calcified, and perhaps I would think about the hydatid disease, and that's a thought. They can get thin or even thicker calcifications, but usually when you see splenic hydatid disease, you'll also see liver, but it's a thought. Splenic abscess, I guess it could be it's low density and there's irregularity in the wall. Perhaps it was an abscess adjacent to a calcified uh, process. It's surely not going to be a simple cyst. Simple cysts are water density, well-defined. They're not calcified. Occasionally, you might have a small fleck of calcification. This is thickly calcified. This patient was febrile, and everyone thought this was probably an abscess. This patient had a splenectomy. This was an anaplastic sarcoma of the spleen, a very unusual entity, but something to consider. I wondered, uh, in this case, what happened. When you look at the path, the tumor was outside of the calcification. It grew into the cyst. I wonder if the cyst just happened to be there with calcification, and the tumor grew directly into it. Very, very unusual case. We do lots of patients at Hopkins, and occasionally patients have post Whipple's complication. So I'm asking you, what is going on in this case? Patient was febrile. Well, you could think about a renal carcinoma, but this doesn't really look like a carcinoma. Does it look like polynephritis? I guess it could be. It's very wedge-shaped and sharp, but pilo could look like this. Could it be an abscess? I guess theoretically. But we're dealing with something that's causing decreased attenuation in the kidney. To me, in the post-operative patient, I always do consider infection, but you also need to consider infarction. Because it's so well-defined, sharply marginated, this was a renal infarct. Just a very nice example, and a very unusual complication in my experience. This patient had hematuria, and I'm asking for the best diagnosis. Well, you look at these early phase images, there's a mass about two centimeters in size in the patient's right renal pelvis. This is not an infarct, it's not a carcinoma, and this is not a non-opaque stone. This is transitional cell carcinoma. Transitional cell carcinomas are mildly vascular, they're not hypervascular. They can sit right in the renal pelvis without causing any obstruction. Just a very nice example. This patient had pain in the pelvis and fever. What's going on? Well, we see a soft tissue mass anterior to or in continuation with the bladder that involves the abdominal wall, including the musculature and soft tissues. When you look at the sagittal view, it tracks upward to the umbilicus. So what we're dealing with here is an umbilical process, a uracal process in origin. So what could this be? Could it be a uracal carcinoma? I guess it could be. Definitely a possibility, and I did consider that. 
is not a perforated bladder, is not a pelvic abscess. I guess in truth it is a pelvic abscess, but that's not the best diagnosis, and is not a bladder cancer growing forward. This is the uracal abscess coming from the anterior superior aspect of the bladder going right up to the uracus. Sagittal view is very good for looking at uracal pathology. This is a great case. The patient has a subcoronal mass. So what do you think about? You think about an adenopathy, you think about tumor, but you look at it, it's relatively high density, and from non-contrast to contrast, it really doesn't change density. It's well-defined, and I did tell you it was incidental. Sarcoidosis can give you subcoronal nodes, but this is a mass, low-density mass, nevertheless. Lymphoma, I don't see anything in the hilum. Castleman's disease, those lesions are vascular. So the best diagnosis is a bronchogenic cyst. This is the most typical location, subcarinal, just a very nice CT example of a bronchogenic cyst. So those are 10 cases. Hope you got them all right. But more importantly, I hope you learned something. And with that, have a great day.